Good morning, Mission View. Happy spring. It's feeling like spring, right? Well, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, I'm excited about today. We have a lot of elements in the, in the, in the message today. Um, I do have my good friend, Mark and Don Miracle. Why don't you stand up, Mark and Don? Uh, we have been longtime friends, ministry partners, and Mark's going to be sharing at the very end of the service and so I don't want you to be traumatized by someone, you know, you know, that's coming up with a motorcycle shirt on. But you'll understand all about that in a little bit. Um, when my kids were young, one of the things that was true, especially of my daughter, was that she always wanted to hear bedtime stories. And in those bedtime stories, what she really wanted was to hear the story of mom and dad, how we got together, and how she ultimately came into the world. See, I think there's something uh, within all of us, even adults, where we want to know our place in life and our purpose in this life. I think there's an intrinsic curiosity that God has placed in each one of us to know the purpose of how we fit into the grand scheme of things. Uh, some time ago, there was the book, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Remember that? Now, that was on the bestsellers list. It sold over 30 million copies, and it is the second most translated book in the world, just second to the Bible. So that tells you how much people want to find out, what is my purpose? How do I fit, fit in into the grand narrative of God's story? Well, today as we go into the New Testament, we really get practical in terms of how we fit into the story of God's grace. Our theme today is the saving grace of God. All this work has been done in the Old Testament to prepare us for the Messiah to come. And when the Messiah has come and when he fulfills everything that the prophecies were given, we see the work of the saving grace going out throughout the world. It's an incredible time that we get to study, and it means a lot to us practically. Now, I want you to think about it. As we have gone through the Old Testament God story, one of the themes that we have seen so far is that God is always giving his glory, right? It's always about the glory of God, and it's about God extending his hand of grace to those around. I want you to know that that theme doesn't change in the New Testament. It's still about the glory of God. It's still about God extending his hand of grace to society. But there's one minor, actually a pretty major change that takes place. It's in the methodology that God uses. See, in the Old Testament, the methodology was that he would have his chosen people, the people of Israel, represent him and bring the nations to Jerusalem to hear about the God of, uh, God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They were to tell all the nations about him, but draw them to the temple of God. It was very temple-centric, and they were to bring them to that place. It was a come-and-see mentality. 
But now the methodology changes in the New Testament where God says, I want you to go and tell. No longer is it the focus on a temple that's stationary, but now it is a temple that has legs. It's you and I. And instead of the Holy Spirit and God's glory dwelling within one place, he dwells within our heart and we are to go and we are to tell. And so as we get into New Test in the in the New Testament, we see this develop. Now, we start off in the New Testament with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, because we just went through the Gospel of Mark in the fall all the way through January, we're not going to focus on the Gospel right now. But I do want you to remind, be reminded of the Gospel message, how Christ came as a fulfillment of what he said to Ab God said to Abraham, I will bless all the nations of the earth through you. And so the seed, Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15 comes and he dwelt among us. He lived a perfect life. He showed the way and he was victorious over death. He died on a cross. He ransomed our life and he was victorious. Even though we're not going to cover the gospels, I do want you to have a reminder. Watch this. If in fact it's true that Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered the final enemy, death itself, everything has changed. If he rose again, life will never be the same as we know it. The gospel is the good news. It's the good news about God sending his son Jesus who came to triumph in this life. Who came to live a sinless life, a perfect life, a selfless life. Then he would give his life as a sacrifice on the cross. But he did not just die. He rose again on the third day. Resurrection is what makes the news good. preaching the victorious champion that our King Jesus really is. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the victorious King of Ages.
this time of year. I love Easter. I love the fact that we're going to have a Good Friday service here on that Friday at 7 o'clock just to focus on the cross and that on Easter we will celebrate the resurrection of Christ. My friends, that is the hallmark of who we are. That is the fulfillment of all the prophecies that were given. That is God's story fulfilled, and it is an awesome thing that we have a, a job as Christ's followers to represent him. And now we pick up after the resurrection of Christ. And today, what we're going to study is going to set in motion what we do as a church today, how we do missions today, how we reach out to our, uh, our neighbors today, how we live our lives today. The bottom line is that today's message is kind of the punchline of the entire story of God's story as we have been working through the last several weeks because it tells us how the gospel will affect each and every one of us in the way that we live out our lives. Now note, next week we will, there, there, there's still more because it is the punchline of what is to happen in the future and how the gospel will end. And so we will see that next week. So I hope that you will take notes today. If you're a note taker, I hope you write these things, but I hope most importantly, it's upon your heart. Now, before I lay out the progression of how the gospel went out, I want to give an overview of the New Testament. If you are a person that's seeking Christ, wanting to understand more about him, or maybe you're a new believer, or maybe you're an old believer, but you just didn't realize that there's actually a flow in the rhythm of the New Testament. I want to give you that. I want you to see on this chart that there is a, a progression that God is doing in terms of the New Testament. Now, let me give you one observation about the New Testament. The New Testament is really all about the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ being made known. That's what it's about. It starts off with the gospel. The word gospel means good news, the good news about Christ. And then we progress into the book of Acts, which is the history and of the church unfolding. And we see the miracles of God, the glory of God being known, and the extension of his grace being known and spread from one culture to another is an amazing thing. One of the key people was the Apostle Paul in that missionary movement, in the spreading of the church throughout the different cultures. And in his writings, he actually has a progression in his writings. The first set of writings are to establish the church in the gospel so that they would really understand as Christ followers what the gospel is all about. In his second set of writings, he wants the church to be established, that they would be theologically sound and practically sound, that they're living out the gospel with credibility. And the final set of his writings is to establish leadership so that that leadership would train up other leaders who, guess what, would go out and share the gospel. It's all about the gospel of God, about the glory and the grace of God being made known. That's what God wants. Listen to what, uh, listen to what it says in John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us that we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Do you see it? 
the glory of God, the grace of God. And then the last set of writings in, in, on that chart, you see the apocalyptic writings, which is revelation. The apocalyptic writing is really showing us how the gospel work will be completed. What is the end of the story? So my friends, that's the big picture of the New Testament. What we're going to do now is we're going to stop off at different stations and we're going to progress and understand how everything unfolded. And so we have to start in Matthew 16 where Jesus says something very particular, very specific to, to his disciples. Now the passage will be on, this, on, the, on the screen, but if you want to turn to Matthew 16 verse 13, let me set the context. It's before the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Jesus is about to go to the cross. And so he wants to give vital information to his disciples. So he pulls them aside and he says this. Now when Jesus, verse 6, 16, chapter, Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Now, verse 18 is that vital information. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, and he's referring to himself, Christ, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, did you see the vital information that he gave? He said, I am going to build my church. Now, to you and I, that might be a familiar terminology, but to these disciples, this is like the first time in all of the Gospels that Jesus brings up this word. This was an unfamiliar word to them, ecclesia, meaning called out ones. And what Jesus is doing is he's revealing a plan to his disciples. He is saying, there's a plan I have. I'm going to build something. I'm going to build it on the foundation of myself. I will lay that foundation and I will do it by going to the cross that the, that the gates of hell will not be victorious over. I'm laying that foundation but guess what? You're my set apart ones and the, this thing called the church is going to be set apart and you will be the vehicle and the architects for building this thing called the church. Now with these apostles he specifically was giving them authority for the start of this. That's why he said, I'm giving you the keys. That's a picture of authority. I am giving you the keys to establish this thing called the church. And of course, there's a few things that have to happen before this construction of the church would begin. But Jesus is stating, this is the plan. Now, here's what I want you to get. I want you to understand that God's plan A for advancing the gospel is the church. And quite frankly, there is no plan B. God's plan A for advancing the gospel is through the church. 
It's through you and me. The church is the vehicle or the means of transporting the gospel to a lost world. My friends, this is why on our Vision Sunday back in September, we shared that we want to be a church-planting church. The end all is not just us gathering here on Sunday morning. No, we want to be a going church. We want to see other churches planted. We want to partner in other regions in the world for us to see churches planted. Why? Because it is God's plan A. Over the years, I have heard Christ followers either say or live out this kind of mentality. Oh, I love Jesus, but I don't really like the church. And I I can't be committed to an organized institution. Have any of you ever heard any kind of mindset like that? I want you to know that that's wrong. Now, some of these people, because of that, it will show in their life. They're going to they're gonna be the ones that are going to meet in their home and listen to some famous Bible teacher in their home. Or maybe they're going to worship out on the golf course, you know, as they're driving the ball down. And they're, they're, they're certainly saying God's name in a, in a wonderful way, aren't they? And, and, then, and then, or you might have some people, and it just, this mentality affects them in that they're sporadic in church. They're not really committed because deep down there's a distrust. Or maybe they don't do anything at all. But I want you to see how wrong this idea is. Friends, you can't love Jesus and not love the church because right here it's his plan it's his idea later on the scripture calls the church the bride of christ and yes it is organized god is a god of order not of chaos the mentality that oh i just don't like it organized well what do you want chaos God is a God of order. And how do you get the church to all nations in the world? You do it through order. And God is a God of order. Now, I will tell you what complicates the matter. What complicates the matter is when churches forget their mission. You will know this kind of church because the gospel no longer goes out from that church. The church becomes, in a sense, a social club, a perpetual, let's be the best that we can be. Let's have the best children's ministry. Let's have the best youth ministry, the best adult ministry. Let's be the best. But my question is, for what? Do I want us to have good ministries? Yes, but we are not the end all. We are just the means to the end. Why? Because the church is designed to be the conduit for the gospel to go out. And it should never be sedentary. It should never stand still. We are always to go. It is the church. And that's how God has designed the church. Not to be a collective community, but to be a distributing community. Then we move on to the next station. So you got these disciples. Okay, I got the plan. The plan is the church. But now he has to give them the blueprint. Flip over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28 says this, verse 18, very familiar passage. And Jesus came, to, came and said to them, now this is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and before he ascends into heaven. And he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the very ends of the age. 
Now, what I love here is that God gives the blueprint. He gives a very simple blueprint of what we are to do. How would you like it if your job description had two words on it? If your job description was that simple, well, here is our job description as disciples. Here's what it was for them. Make disciples. That's it. Make disciples. Now, if you study the passage, there's actually three participles that are given to quantify or to qualify how they were to make disciples. There were three things that they were to do. They were to go, they were to baptize, they were to teach. Now, let's look at the first participle. They were to go. We already stated the church isn't to be sedentary. It's always to be on the move. And it is equipped in the New Testament to do that. Remember, in the Old Testament, temple, standstills, come and see. But now we are the temple. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and we get to go. Wherever we go throughout our week, it is it. The Holy Spirit is within us. The temple is on the move, and we are to have a go-and-tell approach. My friends, unfortunately, I believe a lot of churches have built their entire ministry around the Old Testament model of come and see. They would call it an attractional model. Now, I want to clarify here. We want to be attractive. But we want to be attractive here. And when we gather here, we're going to worship. That's our primary reason. And we always want to extend God's hand of grace. But I want you to know what makes the church work is when you are attractive out there. When you are missional in the way that you live out your life. When you are the temple on legs reaching into your core. You remember what your core is? Circle of responsibility. I will drill that in. Your core. The second participle is baptized. When we've done our job of reaching out to people, believers will want to give a public testimony of them becoming Christ's followers, and Jesus gave the command that it has to be through baptism. And my friends, if you're sitting here today and you haven't been baptized and you are a Christ follower, you just need to know you're living in defiance, not of Steve Marshall, not of the elders of Mission View, you're living in defiance to the command that Jesus gave. This is what we are to do. We're to baptize. And that's why I believe at Mission View, baptism is a barometer of whether we are on mission with God or not. Because we want to constantly baptize because we are to be making disciples. And here's here's what I want to challenge each and every one of you with. And the challenge is for me. My challenge is for each of us to be so intentional in how we disciple others, that it would be the greatest, greatest honor for us to baptize somebody up here. Remember, at Mission View, we don't have the pastors do the baptisms. We have those that disciple do the baptisms. And what a great, great honor it is for a dad to baptize his daughter or a mom to baptize her son. What a great honor it is for you to baptize a, a, a friend that you've uh, that's an employee or that works with you or is a coworker or just a relative. What an awesome thing. Next week, we're going to have a celebration Sunday where we have one person being baptized, and I am so encouraged with this testimony. But I will tell you, if there's anybody else that wants to be baptized, we're going to make it work because that's what we are about. The last participle is that we're to teach. That's what we're to do. 
We're simply to teach others that are newer in the faith what it means to obey Jesus, what it means to follow him in his word, what it means to fellowship, what it means to pray. That's what we are to do. Oh, so here we have the, the progression. The church is the vehicle. We know what we're to do. We're to make disciples. And now God gives the roadmap. Now you're going to see a verse, Acts 1.8. You can turn there or just listen. In Acts 1.8, he gives the roadmap and he tells them how this mission is going to be going to happen and where it's going to happen. He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Stop right there. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This here is the fuel. This is the how this mission is going to be accomplished. You see, this was very different for these disciples. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit wasn't permanent upon a person. It was, uh, the Holy Spirit was put on an individual for a mission, but it could be removed and it could be placed upon. But here what Jesus is doing is something totally radical, totally different that these disciples ever knew. The Holy Spirit would permanently come and live upon that individual that was a Christ follower. And so what this tells us is that we don't have to wait to be a Bible scholar to start working for God. God equips us at the moment of our salvation. You know what else he gives us at the moment of our salvation? With that spirit, he gives you a gift. He gives you a special endowment of power through a gift. First Peter says this, each one of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully. There you go. Administrating God's grace in its various forms. Do you see that God's gift is an extension of God's grace? It's all about the glory of God. It's all about the grace of God being extended. And practically, our God's like, okay, these guys are going to need a little help. I'm going to put the Holy Spirit in them. I'm going to give them a special endowment of a, of a gift so that they can serve me in a radical way and make a difference in this world. We progress on in the verse. He goes on, he says, not only have I given you the Holy Spirit, he says, but you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. See, what he's doing is he's giving a geographical progression. The gospel wasn't to just stay in Jerusalem in that little hometown. It was to spread out. It was to go to the neighboring village of Judea and beyond that, Samaria and the othermost parts of the world. M Mission View has modeled that. A couple weeks ago, you received this. This tells you of all the mission partnerships that we have. And you'll see on the very back, our mission's philosophy. Guess what our mission philosophy is? Acts 1-8. We want it to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. We've identified as elders that the five-mile radius around us, this region, is our bullseye. This is where we're starting. Of course, we're in North Canton. We start there, and we spread out, and we're going to utilize our resources within that five-mile radius to share the gospel. Now, some of you say, well, I'm outside of that five-mile radius. Don't worry. You're in Judea. We want you. Because there could be a pocket of people in Judea. And eventually, if there's a big enough pocket, that might be a future church plan. Or Samaria. Or uttermost parts of the world. Just understand, the arrows are always going out. God never wants us to stay sedentary. He wants the arrows always going, going, going. This is what God wants. 
Now next week, you get a chance to participate in this. We're going to have a special offering. Now that offering isn't for me. That offering is for all of these ministries, all of this mission to be accomplished because God has designed the mission to be done by the body of Christ called the church. Okay, so we have the plan, the church. We have the, the, the job description that we're to make disciples. And now we have the power and we have the, the direction. How does it happen? Well, read the book of Acts. I don't have time to expound on the book of Acts, but let me give you a summary. In the book of Acts, guess what? God starts in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2 through chapter 7 is all about Jerusalem. Guess where he goes from there? I, I bet you you can guess it. Judea and Samaria. Acts 8 through 12 is Judea and Samaria. And guess what's after Acts 13? Ends of the earth. The greatest missionary movement that started then by the Apostle Paul that God used that is still going today. Here's one observation I want you to see. The church throughout the book of Acts is not the goal. It's not the goal of all things, but rather the church is the conduit. It is the channel by which everything happens. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. I want to give you an illustration of this. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 now, I want you to see how the church is a conduit here. And I want you to compare that to Mission View Church, starting at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came on upon every soul, and, every one, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and just distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts praising God and having favor with his people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. Now take a look at this first church. They were dedicated to God's word. My friends, that's why when we gather together on Sunday morning, we normally will go through expositionally through a passage. Starting the week after Easter, we're going to go through the book of Colossians together, verse by verse. We're dedicated to God's Word, just like the first church. This first church was dedicated to worship. We see that there, they were praying, they were giving, they, were, they had communion, they were singing and worshiping together. That was all a part of their worship. And my friends, that's why we do every element of what we do here at Mission View, because that's what they did in the first church. They had community with one another. They made it a priority to spend time with each other in the homes and, and when they were together on Sunday. And my friends, when we do the commons, I want you to know it's not donut time. Okay, donuts is kind of the icing, okay? Or if apples, if you're healthy, uh, you can go either way. But I want you to know that's not the focus. The focus is you. We are to have all things in common. That's the why we call it the commons. So we have that. We meet in homes during the week. Why do we do that? Because it's right here. This is the model that God has given us. Service. They served one another. They sacrificially went out of their way. Do you realize on Sunday morning that all of this just doesn't magically appear? 
All the signs that you see, all the greeters that you see, all the children workers, all the hospitality people, they exist to serve one another. At the very end, we're going to have an appeal because we have some servants that are getting worn out. We need new blood to help out. But notice what happens. It says in the very last verse, in the midst of all this worship, all this giving, all this community, the Lord added to their number daily. You see what happened? These people were living it out missionally in their life. They were in the incarnation, Jesus in the flesh, in their community, in their circle of responsibility. And they would bring people and they would see, those people would see the transformative community. And God said he was adding to their number daily. My friends, the church is always the conduit of God's grace. It is never to be a reservoir. It is to be a river. It is to be a pipeline of God's grace. So what's the end all? What's the objective? What's the bottom line? Well, the bottom line is the vision of God. Jesus stated this vision in Matthew 24, and I'll conclude with this. It says this, and this, this is the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. You see, the goal of God is that all the nations would know. Remember when he said, make disciples? Make disciples of all nations. That's our job. Now, next week, we'll talk about how that's going to happen in the future. But right now, here's the question I want you to think about. Do you believe that Jesus will return after the gospel is proclaimed to all the nations? So, well, yeah, I just said it there, Steve. Of course I believe that. If so... What will be your participation in the proclamation of the gospel? See, this vision of God should change everything. It should change the way that we see people. It should change the way that we see our finances. It should change the way that we raise our family. It should change the way that I get into my car to go to work every week because I am a part of fulfilling that vision. Practically, how does this affect our story? I want to give you three things that, th that this should affect us. Because the vehicle is the church. How should this affect us? Number one, we should think differently. We should think differently than those that do not have Christ. Those that do not have Christ, what do they think about? They think about gaining riches. They think about standing in life. They think about power. Well, let me tell you, you don't have to think about those because you have all the riches in Christ. You have a standing in Christ because you are a child of the King. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit working through you. So each and every one of us can live with a mentality that it's about the glory of God and it's about the grace of God being extended through my life. Here's the second thing. Be intentional. Be intentional in how you live. Three questions. What's your platform is the first question. Last week, I did a little survey of occupations. Of 188 people at Mission View, this is what we gathered. 20% of you are, are involved in healthcare. Awesome. That's a platform. 44% of you are involved in business. That could be from the automotive business to a banker to whatever in business. 44%. 14% are involved in education. What an incredible platform. 
12% are involved in the home. That's an incredible platform. Uh, 4% in nonprofits or the church. Now, we only have a half a percent in the arts. We got to grow in that area of influence. 1% in media, 1% in government. Here's the point. We have people that are in leadership in these areas. We have people that are just plain and simple, good, hard, blue-collar workers that are in these areas. And I want you to know it doesn't matter what station of life you are or what position you are in in terms of these. It is your platform. And what we need to see is we need to recognize that God has given us this platform for the sake of the gospel. Here's the second question. What's your passion? What are you passionate about? Some people are passionate for the hurting or the forgotten. Some are passionate for family, some for missions, some for orphans, some for sports, some for exercise, some for business, some for networking, some for education, some for cooking. It doesn't matter what your passion is. Please understand there can be a ministry there. Now I'm holding in front of me a bunch of cards. These cards all came from the public schools in this area because we serve meals at all of those schools. Every single one of these are teachers saying, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we've never had something like that. What an incredible thing to meet your people from Mission View. My friends, that's impactful. But let me tell you that there is a man named Pepper Dave who is at every single one of them. Guess what Pepper Dave has a passion for? Just guess. Just guess. Cooking. He loves cooking. He loves chicken. He loves ribs. He loves steak. He loves all that stuff. And he uses his passion. And when I see Dave there, he's always talking to the janitors. He's always talking to the teachers. And what an incredible opportunity. Finally, what's your plan? Pray about it. Research it. Build relationships. Invest times. Invest your time. My friends, we keep things simple at Mission View. You know why? Because we want you out there. We don't want to have the doors open all the time here so that you would come all the time and spend your time here. We regroup. We get powered up on Sunday. But we go because that's what God has called us to do. The last thing that we need to do, in addition to thinking differently and being intentional, is just simply love our neighbor. Mark, I'm going to have you come on up here right now. Mark's going to share for about five minutes a little bit about his ministry. What I love about Mark is that he was full-time in pastoral ministry, and now God took his passion of motorcycles and has turned it into a motorcycle ministry. And what an opportunity he has had to share the love of Christ. Mark, thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thank you very much. My wife and I are Raceline Ministry, and just so happens that our uh, theme verse is from Acts chapter 20, verse 24. It says this, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if I only may finish the race and complete the task the Lord, is Jesus, the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Three years ago this month, my wife and I stepped out of an RV at Summit Point Raceway in West Virginia. We did not know one soul there. No one knew us. And we began to meet people one by one. 
That first year, we met engineers, we met CIA agents, we met government workers, we met firemen, we met policemen, we met doctors and lawyers and all kinds of people. As we introduced ourselves with chaplain written all over us, they would say, so what are you here for? <laughs> I'd say, well, I'm the chaplain. And they looked at me bewildered and they said, what's a chaplain? And I looked at them bewildered and said, what do you think it is? I said, well, are you a race official? Are you a judge? And some people just flat did not know what a chaplain was. We soon began to see a theme with people. Many of the people that we grew to love and to know and be, befriend had never once in their life darkened the door of a church. We had people who I would visit in the hospital bed, hurt and in pain and struggling. I would offer to pray for them and they'd say, no, thank you. And on and on it goes. Knowing nothing of Jesus, nothing of God. How can this be? I'm not serving in Africa. I'm not serving in Brazil. I'm not serving in Haiti. I'm serving in America. How can this be? Well, guys, I think it's because you and I are not doing what we are called to do, and that is to testify to the gospel of God's grace. You know, in December, God provided us a pickup truck for our ministry. And to honor God, I had my license plate made into thanks, God. I never realized the opportunities that plate would give me to tell his story. I also didn't realize it would change the way I drive. <laughs> Seriously. When I leave the track and I walk into a truck stop, when I walk into a restaurant, when I walk into a grocery store and I'm still wearing this shirt, you know what? It changes how I act. It changes how I live because it's telling people who I am and who I represent. What if every day to work in the school, you guys all had a church and in the front of it said Mission View Church and on the back of it in great big letters it said Christ Follower? How do you think it would change how you would live and act in your community? Whether you or I are wearing shirts that say chaplain or Christ Follower, and we don't most of the time, we are to bear the name of Jesus Christ. And we are to walk and live lives that represent him. It's not something that we do separate from the world, hiding behind the walls of the church. And I love the church. We are to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And we blend and weave that in with our family. We blend and weave that in to our school. We blend and we weave that into the grocery store visit. We blend and weave it into the confrontation that we might have with a person. We blend and weave it into our hobby. We blend and weave it into our walk around the block as we integrate with our neighbors. We weave it into our driving. We weave it into the meal at the restaurant as we interact with our server. We blend and we weave it into every contact we make throughout the day. 
How do we testify? You know what? Maybe it's just a smile. Maybe it's just a handshake. Maybe it's an act of service, an act of love. It's a sharing of a verse that God's put on our mind. Maybe it's just listening. Maybe it's a time to take the opportunity to share the whole gospel. We get to share it all with a person. Maybe that works out. Maybe it's to pray for a person and say, hey, Joe, I'll pray with you for you about that. Maybe we literally pull them aside and say, hey, let's pray about that right now, if you don't mind. <clears throat> Testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I read yesterday that the Hartford, Hartford, Hartford excuse me, Institute for Religion and Research says this, that there is about 300,000 evangelical churches in America today. Churches very similar to this. 300,000 of them. Think about that. Tim Tebow, in his last college game in the championship, he wore John 3.16 under his eyes. Anybody remember seeing that? John 3.16. During that game, 94 million people, 94 million people Google searched John 3.16. Wow, isn't that cool? No. To me, that's shocking that 94 million people here in America would have to look up as to what John 3.16 says. 300,000 evangelical churches. Are you, am I, testifying every day to the gospel of the grace of God. The last two songs that we're going to be singing right now are all about that. I want you to think about us extending the grace and the, the, the gospel to people through just the compassion that we show every day. Let's stand and let's worship together and think through the words of these songs. <laughs> 